Stella. Sunny Stella. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. Welcome to the Fringeworthy Podcast. I'm Bruce. I'm John. <laughs> Sorry, I was just moving around there, folks. Today we're going to discuss religion in your role-playing game. One of the first ways that we want to talk about religion is we want to talk about how religion would be important to your character. John, what aspects of religion would do you think would be important to the character? It really depends. Characters don't have a piety score to rate how well they believe. It's important both in the background and in a personal belief point of view. It's part of the character concept, right? Yeah, your average American, more or less, I can say irreligious when it comes right down to it. Even once you go to church, you're irreligious. According to the polls, over 60% of the American public say that they have a personal religion. Oh yeah, whether or not they actually practice it, that's a different thing altogether. Well, I'm sure that it has some meaning for them. They may go to a church. Uh, they may belong to certain civic organizations. It may affect how they speak. It certainly affects the kind of literature that they read in some of the movies that they go to, or not. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> but as an example, in our Fringeworthy game, uh, in, my, in my campaign, one of the main characters, his name is George. He's the ex-vice president of the United States. Now, George, obviously, by being the vice president... You know he didn't get elected unless he was appealing to a large religious segment of the population. Look at the vice presidents that are out there now. Every one of them is seen going to church. They all espouse the religious beliefs, usually conservative. And usually the platform of the party is somehow aligned with their religious beliefs as well in such things as capital punishment, abortion, all those kinds of issues. They match up their personal religion and the kind of church they go to. You haven't seen anybody as a vice president, someone who used to like pick up snakes and things like that. Some of the more interesting religious Christian sects. Well, you never know about either about Lyndon Johnson or, or Dick Cheney. So, Because of who he is, because he was elected vice president, I've always felt that he must have a fairly strong re- religious background. Now, it doesn't mean he can't curse like a sailor. It doesn't mean he can't smoke cigars or anything else. He may have some secret vices, but I think it's probably important to him. I think the religion, at least the concept of religion, as far as defining your character, should be important. Because someone who's an atheist is very religious. He just happens to be kind of a against religion kind of point of view. You can get into big debates about that. I've been actually read a few debates about folks talking about is atheism a religion, and a lot of people say you're not getting it. It's not a religion. They just simply don't believe. Right, but you have to know a lot about religion, at least the concept of God, in order to say, hey, I don't believe yeah. in that. Yeah, 
Uh, it's true. And also, Fringeworthy is, is a kind of game where, yeah, you're an atheist, but you go to a world and there's the Greek pantheon, there's Valhalla. Yeah. Okay, uh, what now? <laughs> okay, so you have a, a particular religious point of view. This allows you to make a connection with another player. If you have another player, for example, who's Catholic and you happen to be Lutheran, there's a big difference between the kind of connections you can have with them versus, let's say, someone who believes in Shintoism. They're from a background of Japan. Or that uh, someone who's Indian, who's a, uh, a Brahmin, who's Hindu, is going to have much different worldview because of his religion than someone who comes from an American Christian kind of background, Protestant, or even versus Catholic. Well, someone who's Catholic has an easier time believing in a, a god that speaks through a prophet than, let's say, someone who's a Protestant, because that was the reason that they split. However, the Mormons, they believe in prophets, their offices yeah. in their church, and therefore they are actually more closer in many regards to Catholicism than, let's say, somebody who's a Baptist. That's true. For many players out there, they actually just create a character and never even give any consideration to what religion or what the, right. their belief system is until the GM forces upon them. Right. I'm not saying that they have to. I'm saying is that by considering it, you actually provide an opportunity for your character to become richer. By looking at the other player characters, you can develop alliances or even repulsions. One of the other characters actually was bold enough to say, hey, I'm a Satanist and you're a Baptist. You might have some friction in that party after that. Or if someone says, I'm a dyed-in-the-woe atheist, and, and you're a, a evangelical Presbyterian, well, then you're going to have probably some problems. If, for example, your character believes that it's his job to spread his religion as he goes across the fringe paths, and that, which is one of the options I put in the manual, then he's going to have problems with other player characters who think that we should follow more of a laissez-faire type behavior with these worlds that we go to. It gives reason well for the other players to maybe want to make sure that Prophet Joe stays on the platform while they go on to the world, too. I don't think Prophet Joe would stand for that if that was he thought was really what was important to him. But you see, so it helps create character goals. It creates connections or mm -hmm. conflicts between the various PCs. Yeah. In a role-playing game, conflict is good. The more conflict you create in the game, the more fun it is to play as long as you're not just trying to do it to be irritating if you're trying to make your character more interesting. In role-playing games, especially in other role-playing games like, say, D&D, &D, where you have multiple types of religions uh, going on where they have all kinds of different goals, most player characters don't bring conflicts between the various player characters because they want to be able to play with these people. And I'm not saying that you should try to create such a conflict that you can't play with the person. What I'm saying is, is that you may be approaching a situation from a different slant than someone else is, is a good thing. And you know, if you go to a world where they're taking humans and they're sacrificing them for body parts, one person might say, oh, that's just biological determinism. They only exist because we need them. Therefore, there's nothing wrong with it. Someone else may say, you're murdering your twin brother. This is nothing more than postpartum abortion. And that's more of a religious point of view than it is a biological point of view. There's a, at least two movies with that concept where there's, they're growing clone blanks for people so they can actually get spare parts. 
and the clones are either completely idiots because they basically don't raise them. They simply just grow them, make, give them enough sense so they can walk around, not make a mess in the corner, and not fall off a cliff. But other than that, they're complete idiots. They raise them like wild animals. But, but the other case, they do raise them as intelligent beings, and, and that was that movie called The Island. The characters themselves may be highly religious or have religious points of view, and that's good. I'm not, I would highly recommend it mm-hmm. for your character at least consider during character creation whether the person actually has that point of view or not. Uh, the older the character is, the more likely it is that you're going to have one of those things. A lot of people in their mid-20s and 30s sometimes become a little bit more unclear about what their religious beliefs are because they move away from the hothouse of their family environment where a particular kind of religion or worldview is mandated practically uh, and expected. And they say, well, wait a second, why do I believe what I believe and do I really believe it? So if you're playing a character in the mid-20s or 30s, that might be the point of view that your character has. So you have that in your background or not. And your character then goes out to the Fringe Pass to all these different worlds. And on every world you go to, you're going to run into possibly other religions. It's very likely that you're going to run into worlds with religions because our world has religions and a lot of worlds out there are alternates of Earth. So when you go through that world, there's a, a possibility that you're going to find yourself in a world where there is an actual God you know, that actually exists. Whether or not you believe that God exists in our world or not, or gods, players may actually go to a world in which there actually is a honest to whatever God who has expectations and and things like that. They're going to have to deal with that possibility. And it may shake them. It may shake their own personal beliefs because if they were somebody who didn't believe in the existence of the supernatural or some godlike being and they go to a world in which there is one, that has all the hallmarks of a god, then they're going to have to deal with how that should be affecting their worldview. In the game itself, we actually provide two worlds that actually have gods. Negative three prime, Zandavo is a world with a god, and at minus six seven, there's a world with a with a god. Now, both cases we serve couches gods with, with apostrophes. It's really up to you as a GM. Are these really gods, or are these uh, highly advanced critters that think they're gods? Because we're dealing with the fringe paths, and the fringe paths are super science. And because of that, as we said in one of the previous things, the people who lived on the prime, uh, on the full Commonwealth worlds, lived as gods, meaning that whatever they said could happen. You know, they had the ability to move planets in their orbits. Uh, they could take something and break it down to its most basic building blocks and build it up into something completely different. They could live virtual lives in computer systems. They could create life, but they could also create computer systems that were aware and had personalities. So where do you draw the line between God and somebody who really has a lot of powers available through just a long, long system of technological development? There's a chance that you run into a Greek world and there's Olympus with all the gods living up there. And if you want to, you can go up and say hi. Don't know what would happen in that case. One of the gods might smite you. (laughs) Who is this strange person who speaks to us so familiarly, yet we've never met them? Say, there's a world where there's Olympus. Well, that means the sun is being pulled on Apollo's chariot, and the earth is probably flat. So that's going to be a really strange place to visit. Uh, The physical laws there may not be the same. 
they may actually function under Aristotelian physics. And in that case, it's totally different. Uh, Aristotle believed that you emitted light rays from your eyes to illuminate everything out there to see things with. Things fell at different speeds. A whole bunch of other beliefs. So you run to the full north pantheon, which means there's a Valhalla, there's a Midgard, there's the, uh, what was the, uh, where the giants lived. And you can travel each one of those. And there's going to be dwarves, and there's going to be giants, and there's going to be dragons. Dragons, you know, and stuff like that. It's really going to be a different place, and it, it'll operate on rules that players may think they know, but they won't. If you really were in a Norse society, you probably wouldn't last a day going and getting caught in a battle. Because we're just way too disrespectful from the point of view of a Norse lord. We couldn't tell good stories. We'd pass out too soon from drinking their mead. You know, all that kind of stuff. We'd just be total wimps and really annoying wimps at that, in fact. Right, and because we're from IDET, we're always looking to make consensus between people. And the Norsemen would be like, you're avoiding a fight. What, are you a coward? No, I'm not a coward. I'm just, uh, I think there's a better way of handling this. The best way of handling this is with Blade! <laughs> a brass mug of ale to the side of the head. The way people got into heaven in the Norse mythology was they died in battle and they got carried by the Valkyries. They would always be picking fights just <laughs> for the opportunity to, to move on into heaven. And the only guys went into heaven, too. I don't know where the women went. I know the guys went into heaven. I know some of the stories, and I've read them as a child, but I haven't read that much. But it would be fun to go and, and take the Norse mythology and put it into a fringe world. I highly recommend mm -hmm. all the GMs do that because there's no reason, because of the alternate physics that are allowed and the fact that magic exists in some worlds and psionics exists in other worlds, and because they are weird places, there's no reason not to have fun with this. There's no reason not to have all these possible things. Fringeworthy is a totally multi-genre game. So you can have one world where you've got this entire world structured in deep religious hierarchy and go to the next world where it's literally the gods are raining thunder out of the sky and whoever makes the best sacrifice gets food falling from heaven that day. And also if you go to a Greek world, you become the new pieces on the board the gods play games on. So you actually will have the gods using you as pawns. Those whom the gods destroy, they first drive mad. Terry Pratchett said, for the most cases, what they do is they put a stick of diamond in your pants and let it go and let it fire it off first. You really don't want to run into a god that loves a pratfall. Okay, so you go through the portal, and in some worlds, there actually are gods. And if there are a god, then you have to say, as a GM, what kind of a god is this? Is this a god who takes a, a 50,000-foot level kind of view on the world, or is this a very personal god? Will there be people who will suddenly just stop and become the avatars of the god? Because he pours his essence into a person, and then they, all of a sudden they are essentially him. And he goes and starts telling people what to do, or starts tearing up buildings, or uh, like Hercules goes and changes the channel of a river. What kind of a god is that? He's probably going to have some kind of rules that are expected to be behaved, if, if not specific rules of sacrifice and offerings and things like that, it, there might be rules of life, like as they say the Norse, you, know, you, you have to be brave and you have to go out and fight battles and, and show your valor because he expects that. That's how you gain his blessing. 
whichever form you may decide that it is. So a god in the world can be very distant or it can be very personal. The, the GM gets to decide what kind of god that's going to be. Uh, in that one world that you talked about, I believe it was a negative three, the ruler is a god, a godlike ruler. And it's a female, so she sits on her throne making pronouncements and people scurry about to do her will, I expect. And so she doesn't actually have to be a, a hands-on type of god. She just simply has to make an occasional showing of power or whatever it is that she's trying to accomplish. If she has real powers and has the ability to build structures, then she may have built the, uh, the palace that she's in. And then she goes and sits down and says, okay, now the rest of you guys start serving me. And they all start doing whatever it is that she wants them to do. Yeah, she's good at delegating. Right. Listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. If you write an adventure where a god is present, then you're pretty much going to have to have the PCs interacting with a god, right? Well, I would say yes and no. In some cases, yeah, there's gods, but you know, unless you do something really stupid, they're pretty much just going to let you do what you feel like because they go, uh, I don't know who this is. I didn't make them. Let's just watch them and see what happens. You don't think that when the team goes into a world and they know that there's a god, obviously the ultimate authority on the world, they're not going to say, hey, that's the person I need to negotiate with? That's a good question. Are we talking like a secular negotiation? You can see I did trying to negotiate with a god and the god's going, well, all I want you to do is worship me. Well, okay, but, you know, we have our own gods and so forth. No, you must worship me exclusively. Otherwise, we'll not deal with you. You can run into problems at that point. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> but, uh... Maybe the god would be satisfied with a certain amount of tribute instead. Yeah, if you're dealing with the full Norse pantheon, the gods there may actually be more background noise than anything else, and you're going to be dealing with the secular authorities over what's going on versus where you have a guy who takes an interest in what's going on with, with his believers. We also have to consider that maybe a world where there are multiple pantheons. you got the Norse, you got the Greek, you got the Egyptian, you got the Roman. Well, the Romans, everyone else. Every Roman just takes whoever they want and put into their pantheon. Right. Well, if they're in constantly at war with one another, then that might be a problem. It kind of depends to me on how approachable the gods are. If they're constantly warring with each other and huge digging up chunks of of land like you know the size of small hamlets and throwing it at each other and racing across the sky with fireballs and lightning you probably don't want to get too close to them and you might therefore want to negotiate more with their temporal high priest somebody in in a village or something who feels he's got some kind of connection to the gods one guy we've we've sort of been walking around and not talking about but the God of Abraham. Okay. A lot of GMs won't have a problem at all having Thor and having Jupiter and that kind of stuff, but when it comes down to having uh, the Christian God, that's a whole other thing, and most folks, right. some GMs may shy away from that. Right, or, or any of the other currently modern religions. Yeah. They're afraid of causing a rip. Because people can come from anywhere. If a French way person is a traditional Jew, what's kosher? Well, I guess you have to look for that split hoof or something. 
Yeah. See if it creeps. It's more than that. There's a whole classes of food out there that are kosher and then not kosher. Certain uh, shell, shellfish are not kosher. Or you're Muslim. Which way's Mecca when you're on Giselle? Any world, once she goes through the portal, where's Mecca? Yeah. And if it is a close clone, like a Victorian Earth or one of the other ones, you want to point to their Mecca or you want to point back to the portal and hope you're pointing right at your Mecca? Right. You didn't really touch upon it in the game, but those are actually very important things for a lot of people. The Pope and the Catholic Church would definitely rule on what the fringes are in terms of their faith. The various Ayatollahs and various Muslim priests would then rule on the two. The Jewish councils, too, on how to deal with the fringes. And every religion will actually have to deal on, on what you need to do when you go to another world. What are you, are you allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do? You know, likewise, if you go to a world which is an alternate of Earth, it's just like Earth, but there never was a Jesus, or there never was a Muhammad, or they kind of switch places, it may cause you to question the validity of your own beliefs, or are they universally true? And these are the kind of questions that I think are great to ask yourself, and I don't think that you want to have an adventure that's totally about this, but it's something for the GM to consider, the kind of culture shock that people are going to go through when they go to these worlds. I think that's something that you should include in the game, as long as, of course, it doesn't get too preachy. You can have Mary Tildov did a series of worlds set on Byzantium Earth where Muhammad was converted to Christianity, became another prophet for Christianity instead of a prophet for his own version of religion. So the major foe for Byzantium was not the Muslims, it was Persia, or Jesus as, as a more Muhammad-style prophet. Well, that's the Jewish Messiah. That would totally turn around what would happen in Israel under, under Roman rule completely if he had acted as a more militant rather than a peaceful son of God. Right. Because that's what they were hoping for. They were hoping for another David. But let's think about what happens back on Earth, too. Because here you go, all the major religions, they send their people out, they go to another world, and here's a world where Jesus is espousing a whole different Bible with a whole different set of rules in it, mm -hmm. a whole different set of uh, beliefs in it. What are they going to say about the Jesus of that world? What's their point of view? Are they going to say, well, that's just an illusion, or that's a trick of the devil, or are they going to say, embrace the differences? Maybe God's doing a different thing there than they did on our world. You, you could see huge, absolutely huge riot and movements on earth once they realize that what they've always considered to be written in stone out on the French path is just one of many possible oh, yeah. versions of whatever the religion is that they believe in. Oh, and just the, the basic layout and construction of the Bible can change so much. There were actually several versions of the Bible before they stuck in one we have right now. There's one that basically was just uh, the four apostles, and that's it. Nothing else. No Armageddon. Nothing, you know, that was it. Boom. The, ga the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Yes, the Gospel of Judas. That would change things. If one of the apostles was Mary Magdalene, then you probably couldn't keep women out of the church as priests, as they, they are in, uh, historically it was. Or when the Old Testament was put together, was put into it. There's the uh, Old Testament and there's the Apocrypha. Well, the Apocrypha mm -hmm. could be much larger or much smaller, depending on what was put into the, into the Old Testament. Right. So there's a lot of change, just right there in just the basics of the, the Holy Bible. 
most GMs are probably just going to like wave a hand at that and say, oh, they don't yeah. like it. But they're, they're taking a wait and see attitude. And by the time the campaign's over, we'll have the riots post campaign or something like that. That's okay if that's what you want to do. I'm not trying to get anybody into trouble with their players. You know, we're not trying to get people into trouble with their pastors by playing a game where they're considering the possibility that Jesus was just a guy or Jesus was possessed by the devil or any other things that you could possibly as a GM throw into your game. Oh, we're not we're not saying you, we, we want to get you into trouble. Each GM is going to have to decide what the players want to do. If the players are like, this is too much, we don't want to deal with it. We want to play where if the gods exist, they're more distant and we're really dealing with religious structures, then that's fine. That's the kind of game you should play. You know? yeah. uh, one of the options is where God is absent, where there was a God. He was very powerful. He did a lot of things, but he hasn't been doing anything lately. And so you actually go into a world where they might have all kinds of evidence that gods walk the earth. But now the god is is operating primarily through, like I say, a hierarchy or a few avatars, or maybe they just disappeared for a long time and they may be coming back someday. And everyone's sort of waiting for it to happen, but they don't know. And they could deal with religion that way. A lot of the modern day worlds are going to be that style. In my particular point of view, because I am a Christian, I believe in miracles. I believe miracles happen every day. I believe in an active daily God, yeah. so a personal God. All right. I know that a lot of people out there don't believe that. People who are very religious, people who live wonderful lives, totally go to church, and they believe that God works through the congregation, and people are inspired to do things, but they don't expect to see the miraculous happening every day. They don't even expect to see it happening in their lifetime. Events happen in the past that caused the, the, uh, the religion to come into being is enough for them. They're saying, ah, thank you. You did enough. We're happy to do our part now. And there's going to be all kinds of religions like that. And, you know, there's be, there'll be some religions where I say they're waiting around for God to appear, and he may or may not. As the GM, you can play with this any way you want. What you can do is really fun is that you can have things happen that suggest that maybe these things are happening, but in fact is there's not enough evidence to prove it one way or another. If you throw in some serendipity where certain things happen in a way that seems unlikely they would have happened, but it could have, then the people around the NPCs may say, oh, look, God is acting. Someone else may say, no, 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 that was pure serendipity, and the players get to rift off of that any way they want to. Oh, yeah. You also have to consider what's going to be the basis for the religions that you have in your world. If there was a God in the world and he passed down a book of knowledge or some writings of some kind or sat down and taught some people for a while and they went on to promote his point of view, his rules, his lifestyle, whatever he wanted humans to have, okay, that's going to be a lot different than, let's say, your people, tribesmen, you come out onto a plane and you see a giant face cut into a side of a mountain and the the better storytellers amongst the the tribe start creating a whole religion based on that giant face either he's the god of the mountain or god put his face on the mountain and god has these powers and he's looking down he, he's there to look over us or something like that and you can build an entire religion in a, in a sense it, it could be a real religion uh it could have been a real god or it could be something where they they're simply trying to deduce meaning out of their world you know if there are seasons 
then maybe there's a Perspinag and Dementor story where you know somebody went into the underworld and got trapped. Most of the year they're allowed out, but then they have to go back for three or four months in the year. And when that happens, the, the life that's in that person is taken from the world and the world gets dark and cold and snow falls and rain. People can deduce the nature of their gods, or I shouldn't say deduce, I should say infer uh, the nature of their gods from the world around them just by looking and observing and saying, well, based upon what I see, God must be like this. I'm also a bit of a Mayan freak, so look, reading about the Mayan gods, and uh, they're all kind of bloodthirsty. The longest time we would think the Mayans were the mathematical kings of Mesoamerica. No, no, they're they just as bloodthirsty as the rest of them. They just happen to be smart enough to work up a system of writing and a system of farming. Unfortunately, they fell prey to the fact that they never really developed a stable government beyond personality cults. Yeah, they were more or less doomed to fail at that point. But their gods were just amazingly rich and varied. And heaven help you if you were stuck in a Mayan world with operational Mayan gods. I'm going to give you a sacrifice of my own blood just so that I can talk to my dead relatives. Things like that. A team that loses the Mesoamerican ball game, the losing team is going to be sacrificed to the corn god so that we have a good harvest next year. Stuff like that. They're doing something, they're making a sacrifice in order to gain a benefit, that they think that the god will grant them. They're just looking to turn away the wrath of, of a god by making the same sacrifices. If you go to an alternate world, it could be completely different Mayans or completely different Aztecs. You can have a lot of fun this way. Yeah, when you walk into a portal and you walk into a world where there is a strong religious belief, it's going to color how the people view you are they going to see you as a god yourselves? Do you want to appear to be a god to the people of a world? There's an old Star Trek reference where McCoy, the doctor, says to James Kirk, the captain, you know, just once I'd like to come to one of these worlds and say, I am the Archangel Gabriel, instead of always being considered to be a demon or something like that. <laughs> I am Kirok! No, uh... <laughs> Now, in a very primitive culture, we're basically talking about Clark's Law here, where a technology that's sufficiently advanced will be perceived as magic by the people who see it. And therefore, if it's magic, then you're probably going to be considered divine in some way. And folks, cigarette lighters do not make you magic. It just means you have a purple flint and steel or a purple flint in your hand. That's all it means. It's not magic. <laughs> Yeah, but if you can do that magic trick where you light the match and then you shake it and the match comes back and then you strike it again and start again, that might be a pretty good way. Then again, you might run to a shaman who can do the same trick too, but you know. As I said in the manual, one of the best things you can do for yourselves is to go find the shaman. He's going to be one of the most important people in village or in the nation and go and say, hey, I'm going to support you. I'm not here to supplant you. I don't want to make the people not believe in the gods. I'm here to make you stronger so that you can help me get what I want. And there's a lot of shamans out there that would be really looking forward to you supporting the, the local deity view, the local religion, by making the shaman more powerful appearing, by making his magic tricks much more impressive. 
instead of him throwing out some powdered acorns so he gets a little fizzy thing, suddenly the, the witch doctor starts throwing out high-grade strontium-mixed gunpowder where you get some real sparkles going on. Uh, then all of a sudden the god is smiling and people are much more impressed with that guy. That guy can rise as a leader between maybe a multiple of tribes and you start unifying them through this one person if they're willing to play ball with you. Oh yeah, there's a special potion you take. It's called antibiotics. Things like that. You go to the shaman. You will have to try to couch it in his terms. you got to give him a whole ritual to go through. And you can do that because the portal is going to gift you with the language that's local. And so you're going to be able to talk to him using the right idioms and, and be able to explain to him what it is that you're trying to do. Now, it won't let you know what the local religion is. You might want to be careful about that. But let's get back to that idea of the PCs as gods. I myself have never played in a game where the PC played as gods, uh, but I always thought it would be fun to do. I think that as you go further along the timeline of Fringeworthy, where you're finding more and more technology, you're running into more and more high-tech worlds, the appearance of you as a god is going to become more and more unavoidable. Because when you start walking into worlds where people try to stab you in your nano microfiber suit, is going to stop the blades to hit you, or there's a force field, or you have some kind of a invisible, a magical shield, or you develop psionics, or you've, you've gone to a world and learned how to be a mage, and you can actually exhibit supernatural-type powers, you're going to appear pretty godlike. And even if you don't want people to believe you're a god, they're going to more likely than not want to think of you as being divine in some way. So you're going to have to deal with being a god in the eyes of a lot of people. If you start being like a god and supplanting the current god, you're taking the chance that that god may take a notice of you. Right. You thought that god was away, but maybe the god was away because everything was pretty much copacetic. You come in, you're now a possible new god in this world. You're undermining the faith of his believers by bringing in this new concept of this other religion that's never existed on this world. He may suddenly wake up and start becoming an active god. You might run to a world where it's just a matter of belief. If you want to read a good story about how gods work, is read small gods. It may be that if enough people believe that you are a god, you cross that threshold and you become a god. Yeah, that's possible. But a lot of times you can appear to be a god because you can have the appearance of omniscience. If you go into a world that's a close alternate you may know where there's diamond mine because there was a diamond mine on your world. Maybe you could say, well, you know, beyond that mountain range, there's a great and gigantic cleft in the ground where it's hundreds of miles across and, and even more in length. And we're talking about the Grand Canyon. These people have never seen this thing. And you go walking up there and they're like, how did you know? Either you're a prophet of God or you're a God yourself because no other way would anybody be able to know what that was. If you can tell people things using your surveillance devices, where you have a, a Pathfinder surveillance plane that's up at 100,000 feet but has the ability to get, look down like a, one of those orbital satellites, and you can look over an entire battlefield and you can say, well, the, the main generals are in that tent that's uh, a mile that direction behind so many soldiers, but they're not going to know that we know, so we can go over there and get them in the middle of the night because nobody will know that we're there. And they're going to think that you've got vast powers of perception. 
you can read people's lips when they're hundreds of feet away and you can see what they're saying and you can say, well, you said this and you said that. And they knew that they were all alone. There was nobody around them anywhere. They're going to say, well, you must have been invisible. You must have some kind of power. And it's all through just application of technique or technology or for knowledge because you're on a world that's similar to another world. You can appear to be a god if you want to without having supernatural powers or psychic powers or any other kind of powers that we're talking about. So reading lips requires that they're actually speaking a language you know personally, not when it was gifted to you. If it was gifted to you, you go, his lips are moving, but I don't know what he's saying. I don't think lip reading is granted with the language gift. But if you're like an American yeah. and you came into 18th century England, it's going to be close enough that you're probably yeah. going to be able to pull it off. Oh, yeah. If it's within a couple hundred years of your personal timeline and it's a close alternate, then, you know, probably, yeah. There are limitations that the GM should keep in mind for these kinds of things that uh, we, we don't want to just give it away to everybody. But it also doesn't mean it isn't something you can't develop. If you know how to read lips... And just like you can learn a language on a world, you can also learn how to lip-read the language that you've been gifted. It's just a matter of how much time you want to invest in it and how your game system that you're using to play the game handles that kind of language acquisition. Or you just bring out your parabolic mic and use that instead. But <laughs> If you're hiding, then the big parabolic mic might get in the way, But while a pair of spy glasses is a lot less noticeable. But these are all just options. If you want to, you can appear to be a god in a world. If you don't want to, then you don't have to. And But I know that a lot of people are going to be wanting to try it sooner or later. And as I said, as you start walking into a world that's primitive and showing off your iron horse, the lowry lights that turn on at night, and your ability to make flame come out of the end of a stick... <laughs> You know, without it ever being hot, you know, without the use of a bow. Sooner or later, people are going to try to treat you like a god. And so the players need to ask themselves, well, what do I do when that happens? Am I going to say, hey, yeah, I'm a god. Hey, bring on the women. <laughs> bring the women, bring the wine, bring your best cuts of meat. Little give and take. Oh, so you're going to be Bacchus then. All right. <laughs> Right. Well, I'm just saying is that you're going to come to the world. You're probably willing to give these people all kinds of stuff. You know, you're going to you'll give them boxes of matches. You'll give them whatever. You're willing to confer upon them some of the technological benefits that you have because you're a nice guy. I mean, you see people who are starving to death or they're living in malnutrition or they're farming and they're using the, the cut and burn method when a simple crop rotation would increase their food supply fourfold and everybody could be strong and healthy. There are things you're willing to give people because you're from IDET and you want to do good things to, to people that you run into. So it's not that hard to say, well, yeah, you give me what you got and I'll give you what I got and, and it's all good. But of course, what you got is so much more advanced than what they have. I mean, they're giving you staples. You're giving them power tools. <laughs> and they're going to probably look at you as being some higher form of life, if not a god themselves. The players need to decide how they want their characters to react that sort of thing. That can cause some conflict again if the players uh, have characters who have strong religious beliefs, but they believe that someone acting like they're a god is blasphemous, then 
they're going to get upset. You know, oh, no, so-and-so is not a god. Look, you know, I, let me show you. Or as Venkman said, if someone asks you if you're a god, say yes. Do remember, though, that primitive does not actually mean stupid. Just because they're a primitive people doesn't mean that they have IQ of four. They may have uh, IQs just as high as anyone in your, in your group, just as high as any, any player. It's just that they don't have the education, they don't have the technology. But they still can reason, they can still think, and they still look at these people going, are they really gods or are they just people who got good stuff? This person has to go take a poop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Does your view of God include somebody go- taking a poop? Yeah. Or this person here, he has to sleep. Why, why does God need to sleep? God is all-knowing and all-powerful. You know, it even says in, in the holy uh, bearskin that God watches over us day and night. But God, this guy, it says he's God and he's sleeping. Yeah. Uh-oh. Eventually, you're going to run into a situation where the friendly natives are no longer friendly natives. We have an exit strategy ready to go just in case. You can change their point of view. You can say, hey, you know, that's the old God. I'm the new God. There's lots of options here. If you treat them fairly, you treat them nicely, and never quite say that you are a God, you probably won't come to harm when they say realize that you're not a God. But if you go over them and all that kind of stuff, yeah, you better have an exit strategy ready to go. So gods can be in the worlds, or there can be beliefs of gods that were derived from previous actions back in legend that supposedly gods did, or even they could be deduced from the world around them. PCs can appear to be gods, and PCs will many times have their own religious points of view that they want to either promote, or they're using it as a background guiding principle for their actions and how they treat one another. The last thing I wanted to talk about here was the effect of living in the Commonwealth might have on the religious beliefs of the characters. Some people believe that the religions arose from man's need for things. He needed good crops, so there was a god of the harvest. He needed to have many children, so there was a god of fertility. He knew that he was going to die, and he needed an afterlife, so he has a god that provides that. If that is the point of view of the characters, then... When they get into a situation where suddenly, farther down the line in the Fringeworthy timeline, where they're getting the ability to regenerate their organs, or their skin becomes photosynthetic, where all their personal needs have not only been taken care of, but they literally are becoming immortal, is that going to have some effect on the religious point of views? Are they then going to say, oh, well, maybe I believe, maybe I don't. I'm immortal now. I really don't have to think about it for a while. And it becomes something that falls behind. Or they might even, if, they, if their beliefs were based upon need, they may find that their beliefs are no longer important to them anymore. Eventually, this will pass on to the general public of the new commonwealth. This will change those societies as well. How will societies react when you live virtually forever? Maybe the only thing that's totally fatal is someone loses your backup copy. If you can download your brain into a computer, then is that really you or not? But that's a different question. I'm not saying that, that over time in the game, you're going to lose your religious point of view. It may very well be that you gain a religious point of view. As they say, you go from world to world, you find worlds in which there are gods. You may very well develop 
a religious point of view as a result. If you were a person that saw God more as someone who was a kind of a Father Christmas, if you prayed to him and you really believed, he would grant you what you really wanted. But now you have everything you need. You might look a little bit more deeply into the religious beliefs and maybe look into perhaps the character of who God wants you to be, the nature of God himself. As time goes on, as these temporal things, these physical things are not important anymore, the character may become more philosophical, may actually become more religious in the sense of their spiritual. They may become more spiritual than they were before. But let me give you an example. Conan, he's constantly crom this and crom that, strengthen my arm and give me a good battle today. And his God wasn't very philosophical. He didn't really care about the nature of his God other than what he would give him. But then you go to other world where you ask questions like, is God good? Is God evil? Why did God create the world? Why, what does God get out of it? These kinds of questions are arise in other religions that are more of a intellectual nature. There's no way that Conan would ever be asking those questions. But Solomon Cain, who was a very religious character, who still went around gates and sword fighting, but he was more of an aesthetic. He was a deeply religious person. He asked God's strength, but he also thought about the nature of good and evil in the world. You also have to worry about, on beach member worlds, how the religious nuts are going to react to the fringes. Events of the past 10 years sort of tell us that people, if they have a reason, they will try to destroy it. I, there probably will be at least one or two attempts to blow up access to the Hatsumi base portal by religious groups. And I'm not thinking Muslim. It could be Christian. It could be Jewish. It could, before we know, it could be a bunch of Buddhists doing it. You never know. It could be a religion that develops because of the existence of the fringe paths. As I described it on one world, yeah. it's God's eye. The portal is God's eye. God looks through the portal system and looks into each world. Anyone who tries to control or shut down one of the portals is therefore trying to blind God and therefore is, is committing a sacrilege. Don't laugh at that one, though. That would happen. There will be a religion that arises that will view each and every fringeworthy as some sort of apostle of this new God that's been formed. And the portals are some entranceway to a new heaven. Yeah, they're going to do their level best to get a hold of a crystal so that they can have access to the portal and into to the fringe heavens. And the first time someone who has a crystal becomes fringeworthy because he's carrying that crystal, all of their suppositions are going to be substantiated. I have a theory about that. Who's going to become fringeworthy? It's going to be the security guards who travel with whoever is searching for more fringeworthy. They may once or twice handle the crystal for various reasons. And eventually one of the security guards may become fringeworthy. Oh, it's glowing for me. What's going on? There's like a 5% chance. Yeah. So that means if you've got 20 people mm -hmm. who handle it for a year, statistically, one of them will become fringeworthy. That's true. And if there's enough different security guards, yeah, it probably will happen. Especially when you have some cute waylay walking around with you looking for fringeworthy. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how the cuteness comes into it. <laughs> yeah, never, never mind. Anyway... But yeah, I think you're thinking of Beach Bunny Bimbos with Blasters, nah. where cuteness is actually a power. Anyways, I really think that religion can really enrich the game. 
by showing all these various things. The various beliefs that people have had, and there's been so many different ones, are really interesting of how they were able to take to diverge from one to another and come up with different beliefs. Even early sects of Christianity, they had all these different beliefs that they came up with trying to understand the nature of man and God With once this teaching of Jesus arose on the scene. I find fascinating. And they could all be used to create a, a new little sect to create discord in a world where one sect is fighting, is going against another sect. And of course, the Christians come into the middle of this and everybody wants them to choose a side. And the friends really have to decide whether they are going to choose a side or not. So don't avoid religions as a, as a source of dramatic conflict just because you as the GM may or may not be religious yourself. It's great fun. I think it makes a more interesting story. And I think it definitely makes more interesting characters. There's a total of 13 nodes described in the back of the Fringeworthy Manual. A lot of them do not talk about the religion. It doesn't mean it's not there. Please feel free to add that. There's no reason why you can't make all kinds of changes. And if you want to actually have a great idea for an adventure and you want to plop it in there instead of a world that's there, that's fine too. We're not saying that this is the one true way of the, of the fringe layout. By adding in a religion of one kind or another, you can radically change the kind of adventure that could take place on that world. Look at the fringe path mapping at the back of your book. Look to see where you could add in a religious hierarchy, a god, or you know, even people who are just very religious, who are going to look at the adventures, uh, the, the IDET team as they come through as messengers from the god, coming out of God's eye. Have fun with that. There's probably a world someplace where the fringe ring is sitting in the middle of a temple with a big altar in front of it, and priesthood is all fringe-worthy, but, and it's high holy days when you step on through. If you really want to have fun with it, John, step through the portal, and there yeah. is your party, identical, down to this clothing that you're wearing, and they've all just been sacrificed by the high priests. Uh-oh! Nah. <laughs> <laughs> what the <laughs> if you were to walk into a world where some just died and you walk in and you're alive again this sounds like the basis for one religion that i'm aware of again we're not trying to be blasphemous here we're just simply saying is that there's a lot of ways that you can play the game where the actions the players take can be interpreted in religious terms the high priest can turn over and look at you and go and say, oh, great, double sacrifice. Won't the gods be pleased? Or they could say, you're ghosts. Or we've destroyed your flesh. You're now uplifted, purified beings. You are now holy. And there, and there you are. And then you have to decide if you want to play along with the, the high priest's point of view or run back to the portal. When you go through the portal, it duplicates you, but the duplicates are temporarily retarded. So they don't actually appear on the world for, let's say, 48 hours. Meanwhile, your uh, originals have gone through, gotten into trouble, got themselves sacrificed. You go through the portal now. As far as unit concerned, no time has gone by, and you see yourselves being sacrificed. You can say, hey, I am the return, whatever, I am a god. You thought you could slay me, but here I am alive. So again, you can play it any way you want to. You can be gods if you want to, and taking whatever risks there may be with that. Uh, and, of course, the benefits. Have monoliths and, and great pyramids built in your name. It certainly would be interesting to write down your character sheet. <laughs> the GM has to think to himself, if I put a god on this world who's omniscient, 
how omniscient is he? Is he going to be omniscient enough to know what happens on other worlds in the fringe path? Or is he only going to know about his own world? Real religions are rife with contradictions. I mean, the Egyptians believed in, what, 11 different creation myths? You know, each one of them mutually exclusive of each other. And that's what most of them did. They said, yes, they're all true. Yes, they're, yes, it's a dung beetle pushing the sun through the sky. But yes, it's also uh, this person doing this. And yes, it's also this person. And yes, it is a large naked woman who's got stars on her stomach staying over us at night. If you had all the Norse gods and you had the Egyptian gods and you had the, the Greek and Roman gods together at the same time in the same world, unless they're geographically separated from each other, heads are going to bump. And so you're going to have to ask yourself, well, how do they interact with each other? On our world, they didn't. They, there was no interaction with each other. Do you have any closing thoughts on this, John? When dealing with religions, always make sure that your players are comfortable with it, because even though you may think it'd be a neat idea, your players may not think it's a neat idea. And if somebody, while you're playing the game, suddenly has a problem with something, don't just gloss it over. Stop. Discuss it. Find out whether there's a way of doing it where everybody gets what they want. There isn't. Again, it's a game. We're talking about enriching your game. That's why we're having the podcast. We want you to make your adventures better, more fun, more interesting. Keep that in mind. The goal of this is is to stimulate your mind, to entertain you, to make the game better than it was. Religion is a powder keg and everything that it touches. So in the game, you can have fun with it. If you can, it's a, a powerful motivator of characters, of civilizations. It's created some of the most marvelous works of art that anyone's ever seen. It's been the basis for many of the, uh, the scientific discoveries that have been made because people believe that the, the universe had rules and therefore they could learn what those rules were. Religion is, is a good thing. It can be a bad thing. It's whatever you make it as the GM and use the player react to it. You should talk about this at the beginning of your campaign about what kind of things that you're willing to deal with, what kind of scenarios, how much you want to get into this kind of thing. Time goes on, your point of view about this may change. You may become more restrictive, less restrictive. You may turn out that you have a, a sacred cow that you didn't know about. And if that happens, you know, be upfront about it. Let everyone know about it. Say, hey, this is a problem. And then and let the players work around it. GM, get in on it. And see if you can continue. And, and if you can't, then, hey, you know, just retcon it if you have to. Or, you know, make whatever changes you need to. Because, you know, this is a game of infinite worlds. I'm sure you can find yes. a world in which you can have fun. This is Bruce Shepard from Atlanta saying, remember, there are millions of worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John from Seattle, and remember, keep your powder dry and keep those cards and layers coming in.
No commercial distribution or derivative works are allowed. You must fully attribute this work to TriTech Games. This podcast is solely the property of TriTech Games Incorporated.